Section 6 of Captain Singleton This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe Our vessel being thus finished, out of the mizzenmast of the ship we made a very good mast to her, and fitted our sails to it as well as we could. Then we made a rudder and tiller, and, in a word, everything that our present necessity called upon us for, and having victualled her, and put as much fresh water on board as we thought we wanted, or as we knew how to stow, for we were yet without casts, we put the sea with a fair wind. We had spent near another year in these rambles, and in this piece of work, for it was now, as our men said, about the beginning of our February, and the sun went from us apace, which was much to our satisfaction, for the heats were exceedingly violent. The wind, as I said, was fair, for, as I have since learned, the winds generally spring up to the eastward, as the sun goes from them to the north. Our debate now was which way we should go, and never were men so irresolute. Some were for going to the east, and stretching away directly for the coast of Malabar, but others, who considered more seriously the length of that voyage, shook their heads at the proposal, knowing very well that neither our provisions, especially of water, or our vessel were equal to such a run as that is of near two thousand miles without any land to touch at in the way. These men, too, had all along had a great mind to a voyage for the mainland of Africa, where they said we should have a fair cast for our lives, and might be sure to make ourselves rich, which way soever we went if we were but able to make our way through, whether by sea or by land. Besides, as the case stood with us, we had not much choice for our way, for if we had resolved for the east, we were at the wrong season of the year, and must have stayed till April or May before we had gone to sea. At length, as we had the wind at south-east and east-south-east, and fine promising weather, we came all into the first proposal, and resolved for the coast of Africa. Nor were we long in disputing as to our coasting the island which we were upon, for we were now upon the wrong side of the island for the voyage we intended. So we stood away to the north, and having rounded the cape, we hauled away southward, under the lee of the island, thinking to reach the west point of land, which, as I observed before, runs out so far towards the coast of Africa, as would have shortened our run almost one hundred leagues. But when we had sailed about thirty leagues, we found the winds variable under the shore, and right against us. So we concluded to stand over directly, for then we had the wind fair, and our vessel was but very ill-fated 
to lie near the wind, or any way indeed, but just before it. Having resolved upon it, therefore, we put into the shore to furnish ourselves again with fresh water and other provisions, and about the latter end of March, with more courage than discretion, more resolution than judgment, we launched for the main coast of Africa. As for me, I had no anxieties about it, so that we had but a view of reaching some land or other. I cared not what or where it was to be, having at this time no views of what was before me, nor much thought of what might or might not befall me, but with as little consideration as any one can be supposed to have at my age, I consented to everything that was proposed, however hazardous the thing itself, however improbable the success. The voyage, as it was undertaken with a great deal of ignorance and desperation, so really it was not carried on with much resolution or judgment, for we knew no more of the course we were to steer than this, that it was anywhere about the west, within two or three points, north or south, and as we had no compass with us, but a little brass pocket compass, which one of our men had more by accident than otherwise, so we could not be very exact in our course. However, as it pleased God, that the wind continued fair at southeast and by east, we found that northwest by west, which was right afore it, was as good a course for us as any we could go, and thus we went on. The voyage was much longer than we expected. Our vessel also, which had no sail that was proportioned to her, made but very little way in the sea, and sailed heavily. We had, indeed, no great adventures happened in this voyage, being out of the way of everything that could offer to divert us, and, as for seeing any vessel, we had not the least occasion to hail anything in all the voyage, for we saw not one vessel, small or great, the sea we were upon being entirely out of the way of all commerce. For the people of Madagascar knew no more of the shores of Africa than we did, only that there was a country of lions, as they call it, that way. We had been eight or nine days under sail with a fair wind, when, to our great joy, one of our men cried out, Land! We had great reason to be glad for the discovery, for we had not water enough left for above two or three days more, though at a short allowance. However, though it was early in the morning when we discovered it, we made it near night before we reached it, the wind slackening almost to a calm, and our ship being, as I said, a very dull sailor. We were sadly balked upon our coming to the land, when we found that, instead of the mainland of Africa, it was only a little island, with no inhabitants upon it, 
at least none that we could find, nor any cattle, except a few goats, of which we killed three only. However, they served us for fresh meat, and we found very good water. It was fifteen days more before we reached the main, which, however, at last we arrived at, and which was most essential to us, as we came to it just as all our provisions were spent. Indeed, we may say they were spent first, for we had but a pint of water a day to each man for the last two days. But to our great joy we saw the land, though at a great distance, the evening before, and by a pleasant gale in the night were by morning within two leagues of the shore. We never scrupled going ashore at the first place we came at, though, had we had patience, we might have found a very fine river a little farther north. However, we kept our frigate on float by the help of two great poles, which we fastened into the ground to moor her, like poles, and the little weak ropes, which, as I said, we had made of matting, served us well enough to make the vessel fast. As soon as we had viewed the country a little, got fresh water, and furnished ourselves with some victuals, which we found very scarce here, we went on board again with our stores. All we got for provision was some fowls that we killed, and a kind of wild buffalo or bull, very small, but good meat. I say, having got these things on board, we resolved to sail along the coast, which lay north-north-east, till we found some creek or river, that we might run up into the country, or some town or people, for we had reason enough to know the place was inhabited, because we several times saw fires in the night and smoke in the day, every way at a distance from us. At length we came to a very large bay, and in it several little creeks or rivers emptying themselves into the sea, and we ran boldly into the first creek we came at, where, seeing some huts and wild people about them on the shore, we ran our vessel into a little cove on the north side of the creek, and held up a long pole with a white bit of cloth on it, for a signal of peace to them. We found they understood us presently, for they came flocking to us, men, women, and children, most of them, of both sexes, stark naked. At first they stood wondering and staring at us, as if we had been monsters, and as if they had been frighted. But we found they inclined to be familiar with us afterwards. The first thing we did to try them was, we held up our hands to our mouths, as if we were to drink, signifying that we wanted water. This they understood presently, and three of their women and two boys ran away up the land, and came back in about half a quarter of an hour, with several pots made of earth, pretty enough, and baked, I suppose, in the sun. 
These they brought us full of water, and set them down near the seashore, and there left them, going back a little, that we might fetch them, which we did. Some time after this, they brought us roots and herbs, and some fruits which I cannot remember, and gave us. But as we had nothing to give them, we found them not so free as the people in Madagascar were. However, our cutler went to work, and as he had saved some iron out of the wreck of the ship, he made abundance of toys, birds, dogs, pins, hooks, and rings, and we helped to file them, and made them bright for him, and when we gave them some of these, they brought us all sorts of provisions they had, such as goats, hogs, and cows, and we got victuals enough. We were now landed upon the continent of Africa, the most desolate, desert, and inhospitable country in the world, even Greenland and Nova Zembla itself not excepted, with this difference only, that even the worst part of it we found inhabited, though taking the nature and quality of some of the inhabitants, it might have been much better to us if there had been none. And, to add to the exclamation I am making on the nature of the place, it was here that we took one of the rashest and wildest and most desperate resolutions that ever was taken by man or any number of men in the world. This was to travel overland through the heart of the country, from the coast of Mozambique, on the East Ocean, to the coast of Angola, or Guinea, on the Western, or Atlantic Ocean, a continent of land of at least 1,800 miles, in which journey we had excessive heats to support, unpassable deserts to go over, no carriages, camels, or beasts of any kind to carry our baggage, innumerable numbers of wild and ravenous beasts to encounter with, such as lions, leopards, tigers, lizards, and elephants. We had the equinoctial line to pass under, and, consequently, were in the very center of the torrid zone. We had nations of savages to encounter with, barbarous and brutish to the last degree, hunger and thirst to struggle with, and, in one word, terrors enough to have daunted the stoutest hearts that ever were placed in cases of flesh and blood. Yet, fearless of these, we resolved to adventure, and accordingly made such preparations for our journey as the place we were in would allow us, and such as our little experience of the country seemed to dictate to us. It had been some time already that we had been used to tread barefooted upon the rocks, the gravel, the grass, and the sand on the shore. But as we found the worst thing for our feet was the walking or traveling on the dry burning sands within the country, so 
we provided ourselves with a sort of shoes, made of the skins of wild beasts, with the hair inward, and, being dried in the sun, the outsides were thick and hard, and would last a great while. In short, as I called them, so I think the term very proper still, we made us gloves for our feet, and we found them very convenient, and very comfortable. We conversed with some of the natives of the country, who were friendly enough. What tongue they spoke, I do not yet pretend to know. We talked as far as we could make them understand us, not only about our provisions, but also about our undertaking, and asked them what country lay that way, pointing west with our hands. They told us but little to our purpose, only, we thought, by all their discourse, that there were people to be found, of one sort or another, everywhere, that there were many great rivers, many lions and tigers, elephants and furious wild cats, which in the end we found to be civet cats, and the like. When we asked them if anyone had ever traveled that way, they told us, yes, some had gone to where the sun sleeps, meaning to the west, but they could not tell us who they were. When we asked for some to guide us, they shrunk up their shoulders, as Frenchmen do when they are afraid to undertake a thing. When we asked them about the lions and wild creatures, they laughed, and let us know that they would do us no hurt, and directed us to a good way, indeed, to deal with them, and that was to make some fire, which would always fright them away. And so, indeed, we found it. Upon these encouragements we resolved upon our journey, and many considerations put us upon it, which, had the thing itself been practicable, we were not so much to blame for it as it might otherwise be supposed. I will name some of them, not to make the account too tedious. First, we were perfectly destitute of means to work about our own deliverance any other way. We were on shore in a place perfectly remote from all European navigation, so that we could never think of being relieved and fetched off by any of our own countrymen in that part of the world. Secondly, if we had ventured to have sailed on along the coast of Mozambique and the desolate shores of Africa to the north, till we came to the Red Sea, all we could hope for there was to be taken by the Arabs, and be sold for slaves to the Turks, which to all of us was little better than death. We could not build anything of a vessel that would carry us over the great Arabian Sea to India, nor could we reach the Cape de Bona Speranza, the winds being too variable and the sea in that latitude too tempestuous. But we all knew, if we could cross this continent of land, we might reach some of the great rivers that run into the Atlantic Ocean, and that, 
on the banks of any of those rivers, we might there build us canoes which would carry us down, if it were thousands of miles, so that we could want nothing but food, of which we were assured we might kill sufficient with our guns, and, to add to the satisfaction of our deliverance, we concluded we might, every one of us, get a quantity of gold, which, if we came safe, would infinitely recompense us for our toil. I cannot say that in all our consultations I ever began to enter into the weight and merit of any enterprise we went upon till now. My view before was, as I thought, very good, viz., that we should get into the Arabian Gulf, or the mouth of the Red Sea, and waiting for some vessel passing or repassing there, of which there's plenty, have seized upon the first we came at by force, and not only have enriched ourselves with her cargo, but have carried ourselves to what part of the world we had pleased. But when they came to talk to me, of a march of two thousand or three thousand miles on foot, of wandering in deserts among lions and tigers, I confess my blood ran chill, and I used all the arguments I could to persuade them against it. But they were all positive, and I might as well have held my tongue. So I submitted, and told them I would keep to our first law, to be governed by the majority, and we resolved upon our journey. The first thing we did was to take an observation, and see whereabouts in the world we were, which we did, and found we were in the latitude of twelve degrees thirty-five minutes south of the line. The next thing was to look at the charts, and see the coast of the country we aimed at, which we found to be from eight to eleven degrees south latitude, if we went for the coast of Angola, or in twelve to twenty-nine degrees north latitude, if we made for the river Niger, and the coast of Guinea. Our aim was for the coast of Angola, which, by the charts we had, lying very near the same latitude we were then in, our course thither was due west, and we were assured we should meet with rivers. We doubted not, but that, by their help, we might ease our journey, especially if we could find means to cross the great lake or inland sea, which the natives call Kolamukoa, out of which it is said the river Nile has its source or beginning. But we reckoned without our host, as you will see in the sequel of our story. The next thing we had to consider was how to carry our baggage, which we were, first of all, determined not to travel without. Neither, indeed, was it possible for us to do so, for even our ammunition, which was absolutely necessary to us, and on which our subsistence, I mean for food as well as our safety, and particularly our defense against wild beasts and wild men, depended. I say, even our ammunition was a load too heavy for us to carry, 
in a country where the heat was such that we should be load enough for ourselves. We inquired in the country, and found there was no beast of burthen known among them, that is to say, neither horses, or mules, or asses, camels, or dromedaries. The only creature they had was a kind of buffalo, or tame bull, such a one as we had killed, and that some of these they had brought so to their hand, that they taught them to go and come with their voices, as they called them to them, or sent them from them, that they made them carry burthens, and, particularly, that they would swim over rivers and lakes upon them, the creatures swimming very high and strong in the water. But we understood nothing of the management of guiding such a creature, or how to bind a burthen upon them, and this last part of our consultation puzzled us extremely. At last I proposed a method for them, which after some consideration they found very convenient, and this was to quarrel with some of the negro natives, take ten or twelve of them prisoners, and, binding them as slaves, cause them to travel with us, and make them carry our baggage, which I alleged would be convenient and useful many ways, as well to show us the way, as to converse with other natives for us. This counsel was not accepted at first, but the natives soon gave them reason to approve it, and also gave them an opportunity to put it into practice, for as our little traffic with the natives was hitherto upon the faith of their first kindness, we found some knavery among them at last. For having bought some cattle of them for our toys, which, as I said, our cutler had contrived, one of our men, differing with his chapman, truly they huffed him in their manner, and, keeping the things he had offered them for the cattle, made their fellows drive away the cattle before his face, and laugh at him. Our man, crying out loud of this violence, and calling to some of us who were not far off, the negro he was dealing with threw a lance at him, which came so true that, if he had not with great agility jumped aside, and held up his hand also to turn the lance as it came, it had struck through his body, and, as it was, it wounded him in the arm, at which the man, enraged, took up his fuzzee, and shot the negro through the heart. The others that were near him, and all those that were with us at a distance, were so terribly frighted, first at the flash of fire, secondly at the noise, and thirdly at seeing their countrymen killed, that they stood like men stupid and amazed at first for some time. But after they were a little recovered from their fright, one of them, at a good distance from us, set up a sudden screaming noise, which, it seems, is the noise they make when they go to fight. And all the rest, understanding what he meant, 
answered him, and ran together to the place where he was, and we, not knowing what it meant, stood still, looking upon one another like a parcel of fools. But we were presently undeceived, for in two or three minutes more we heard the screaming, roaring noise go from one place to another through all their little towns, nay, even over the creek to the other side, and on a sudden we saw a naked multitude running from all parts to the place where the first man began it, as to a rendezvous, and in less than an hour I believe there was near five hundred of them gotten together, armed some with bows and arrows, but most with lances, which they throw at a good distance, so nicely that they will strike a bird flying. We had but a very little time for consultation, for the multitude was increasing every moment, and I verily believe if we had stayed long they would have been ten thousand together in a little time. We had nothing to do, therefore, but to fly to our ship or bark, where indeed we could have defended ourselves very well, or to advance and try what a volley or two of small shot would do for us. We resolved immediately upon the latter, depending upon it that the fire and terror of our shot would soon put them to flight. So we drew up all in a line and marched boldly up to them. They stood ready to meet us, depending, I suppose, to destroy us all with their lances. But before we came near enough for them to throw their lances, we halted, and standing at a good distance from one another, to stretch our line as far as we could, we gave them a salute with our shot, which, besides what we wounded that we knew not of, knocked sixteen of them down upon the spot, and three more were so lamed that they fell about twenty or thirty yards from them. As soon as we had fired, they set up the horridest yell, or howling, partly raised by those that were wounded, and partly by those that pitied and condoled the bodies they saw lie dead, that I never heard anything like it before or since. End of section six, read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California, for LibriVox.